What does a contraction feel like? How do I know if I'm in labor? And what does a day of labor look like? Wait, is this normal? Hey, I'm Heidi. My best friends call me Hydes. I'm a certified birth doula, host of this podcast, and author of Birth Story, an interactive pregnancy guidebook. I have supported hundreds of women through their labor and deliveries, and I believe every one of them and you deserves a microphone and a stage. So here we are. Listen each week to get answers to these tough questions. Birth Story, where we talk about pregnancy, labor, deliveries, where we tell our stories and share our feelings. And of course, chat about our favorite baby products and motherhood. And because I'm passionate about birth outcomes, you will hear from some of the top experts in labor and delivery. Whether you are pregnant, trying desperately to get pregnant, or you just love a good birth story, I hope you will stick around and be part of this birth story family. You guys, my book is out. I mean, it is out in the world. I cannot believe it. I have been writing it for several years and it's just mind-blowing. Birth Story, Pregnancy Guidebook and Journal is a -a one-of-a-kind discovery into your pregnancy that provides you education through storytelling. So what's it really about? In the 16 years that I have served women with every personality type, I noticed there was a huge disconnect between what my clients were craving for childbirth education in a book and the books that were actually available on the market. There seemed to be unlimited resources if you are looking for an unmedicated birth or a natural birth or a home birth. But there just weren't a lot of resources for my clients who were part of the 92% of women birthing in a hospital and very much open to medical interventions like an epidural, nitrous oxide, and opioid medications. So I wrote that book to fill the gap for you. Week by week throughout your pregnancy, you will engage with material meant to educate and empower you as you plan for your own birth story, hospital, medicated, unmedicated, or something in between. You are welcomed each week with a postcard from the womb, which is an adorable note from your baby about their miraculous development, as well as the amazing changes occurring within you. Then you are invited to use an uplifting birth affirmation and to respond to an introspective journaling prompt to document your feelings, curiosities, and wonders every single week. With room to memorialize your own birth story, this book will become a memory keeper and a legacy gift for your baby. You are encouraged to read one of my favorite birth stories each week filled with childbirth education, tidbits, and explanations of important medical terms and procedures. These are real-life accounts shared with permission from the births that I've attended during my career as a doula, and I gave you a great mix. In the 42-week guide to your pregnancy and 42 birth stories, seven of them end in cesarean section. About half are unmedicated and the other half are medicated deliveries. This is a judgment-free book. So take what you need from each element and leave the rest. Okay, are you ready to buy? I would love for you to go to birthstory.com and buy it directly from me. But I totally get it if you're an Amazon girl. You can head to amazon.com and just type in birthstorypregnancy 
and the book should pop up. I'll deliver it straight to your doorstep. And I would venture to say that you might be an audiobook kind of woman because you're listening to a podcast. So if you would prefer to listen to this book, then I have recorded it and it is available for download at audible.com or on your Audible app. Thank you for being part of the birth story community. I'm so excited for you to have this book in your hand once you've purchased it and it has arrived. I hope that you will give me your thoughts and feedback and don't forget to take a selfie with your book and post it on Instagram and tag at birth story podcast. Episode five. Woo! So today could not be like more exciting for me because I get to share with you the journey of one of my very best friends, Sean, and her identical twin um, pregnancy and birth. And I was also her doula. So this is such a cool story. And I hope that you learn so much, especially if you are carrying multiples today. Hey, everybody. I'm in the podcast studio with Sean today. She is going to be the very first interview of 2019 to talk about a multiples birth. So again, I'm Heidi Campbell with the Birth Story Podcast. Welcome, Sean. Hi. Yeah, thanks for having me. So, okay, let's go back to tell me a little bit about like how old are your twins mm-hmm. and a little bit about like who you are and um, like why we want to listen to the story. <laughs> sure. <laughs> um, so I am a college professor here in Charlotte. I teach at Queens University of Charlotte. My twins are now six. They just celebrated their sixth birthday this past December. Um, and they are my only. When you have twins out the gate, half of I feel like half of the parents of twins stop once they, <laughs> once they have the <laughs> twins first. Um, and so it's been a wild ride. They are identical twin boys, and um, every bit of boy DNA is in those kids. They are wild, um, energetic, n- don't ever stop. So I am a tired twin mom, but I am a very happy, um, blessed uh, twin mom, too. So. Yeah. Awesome. Um, Okay. And then your husband, I'm just going to interject, is Bo. Yep. And um, what does Bo do for a living? Bo works in the restaurant industry with Noble's Food Group. He is um, basically, uh, I can't remember, COO? What did I say? Chief Operating Officer. Chief Operating Officer. I'm like, I know what he does. I know. He's the COO. We're kind of, he doesn't really. (laughs) We don't like mentioning it that much, but he's been in the restaurant industry for our entire life. Bo and I um, dated for eight years, and we have been married. We're celebrating our 10th year, uh, no, 11th year this coming April. So we've known each other for a really, really long time. And you're pretty young, so most of your life. You guys have known yeah, each other. Yeah, so. before our 21st birthdays. <laughs> so let's go back to like early marriage. So mm-hmm. you said that you've been married for almost 11 years, but the boys are only six. Yeah. So did you have like a long journey to get pregnant or what did that look like for you guys? We did not have a long journey to get pregnant. Um, I, we, um, when, when I first was married to Bo, I, st- I had started teaching in the public school system and um, I was part of um, a group called lateral entry. So I um, never had like really secure footing in that necessarily. And um, Pete Gorman was um, the superintendent at the time. And there was a huge riff of um, layoffs and I was part of that. So 
right when we were talking about maybe starting a family was when financially things kind of caved out from underneath us. Um, so we waited um, to have children to start our family, but it actually was a really nice incubation period. Even though we dated for a long time, it we were married for about five years, and that let us sort of settle into the patterns of marriage and figure out how communication in marriage is, like, wildly different. Um, and I think it helped us grow up a little bit so that having twins, it wasn't like this huge shell shock. I can't imagine having them um, younger when I was trying to start my career. I th- I'm grateful that my career was a little settled um, in some ways um, when I had them. We were not trying. We were practicing, and uh, it was one big old <laughs> oops. Okay, so yeah. tell me the difference between trying and practicing for a baby. Right, well, like, you have so, to define this yeah, for our sorry. audience. Sorry, so we would not, you know, I guess people would say we were trying because we weren't using any sort of uh, birth control method other than the calendar method. Um, and I, I I think ultimately Bo kind of was like, you know what, let's do this. Who cares? Let's try. Um, and so the pull-out method. We were using the calendar and the pull-out method, and Bo flipped the script on me one night and did not you know, pull out. So I made a joke. I was like, you know, in a few weeks, this could become something. And he laughed and he was like, well, we're, you know, it's, it's about time. He made this sort of joke. Um, And I remember very vividly, I was at the time I had just been laid off from um, working at the uh, high school and I was part-time everything. So I was adjuncting at Queens. I was pet sitting. I was all of these things. And I was getting ready to take a group of students to Costa Rica for over a month. And I, I wasn't, I didn't feel great, but I wasn't sick. And I, because I'm a dual citizen, I was born in Costa Rica. I knew that I could go and get checked out in Costa Rica. So I wanted to rule out a few things in case what I was having was something chronic. I was concerned. I was really Because lethargic. you didn't have health insurance, right? At the time, I did not have health insurance. Okay. That's right. So I was feeling really lethargic. It was like mandatory naps in the afternoon, which is not me. I'm a very energetic type of go person. I'd been dog sitting and I, I just didn't have any energy. So I was like, well, I'll take a pregnancy test to rule it out. I'm also not a good tracker of my period. Like, I'm the worst at that. So I was like, well, I think I'm supposed to be on my period, but I don't know. It's all, uh, you know, I was like, I'll just rule this out. I'm leaving in Costa Rica in two days. Um, and so I, you know, I did the thing. I peed on the stick I at this guy's house that I was dog sitting for. And I remember seeing the second line come up faintly and calling my sister. And I was like, you can't really see it. She's like, you're saying that you see a second line. I go, well, not really. She's like, if you are saying that there's any sort of second line, you're pregnant. And she went into full freak out mode. So I hang up with her and then I called our good friend Tara. And I was like, Tara, I'm going to send you a picture of this. Pretty sure I don't see a second line. And Tara, who's more straightforward and calm and never gets excited. She's like, you're pregnant dude. And I was like, Oh, okay. <laughs> and so no insurance. And like, I remember calling you, you doula Heidi was like, Heidi, I'm pregnant and I'm going to be gone for a month. And can you, I don't know what I need to be doing. Can you do that? Cause I'm getting on a plane with students, um, in two days. And I was like, Hey babe, we're pregnant. I'll see you in a month. And I literally <laughs> got on the plane and I was sick as a dog for that first trimester. And it was really hard to, um, keep that secret from the students. I literally was um, throwing up every meal and I lost 10 pounds in the first trimester. And I was, yeah, it was, (laughs) 
It was bad. That is a lot. So for all of our listeners out there, um, I also called our friend Tara and had that similar conversation of like, I think that there's a second line when yeah. I was pregnant with my first. And so for anyone listening out there, if there, if you see a second line, you are pregnant. It doesn't matter how <laughs> fate it is. And I think part of if it there's is any second line. Right. Yes. I think part of it is like, you don't believe it. Right. So it's this notion of like, I'm not seeing what I'm seeing clearly. Right. Yeah. And um, I took so that I was going to say, how many tests did you I take? I just did two. You so did the two. first one I did in the afternoon and my sister who was insistent was like, take another one in the morning. Please tell me you bought a two pack. I was like, yeah, I mean, sure. So I took one in the morning and within, uh, I want to say like a minute and a half, that second line showed up and it was bright pink. And I was like, we are right. pregnant. <laughs> and clearly I, it, at the time I didn't know it, but it was those twin hormones running through me. Um, yeah. So it was like, oh yeah, you're you're like doubly pregnant. Yeah. So let's talk about you're in Costa Rica. Mm-hmm. You're with these students. You're mm-hmm. sick. You've lost ten pounds. Yeah. But because you're from Costa Rica, yes, I know a little bit of the story. You, do, you know a lot of the story. And so I want you to share with everybody that's listening, like what it looks like to take your Costa Rican family to the doctor in okay. Costa Rica. Okay. <laughs> so, um, so I get. Because I'm a Costa Rican citizen and because Costa Rica has amazing health care, I can it was free health care for me. But the privatized health care is really cheap there too. So I went and I had my blood work drawn and um my aunt and my cousin booked an appointment with a gynecologist um and we went. And so in Costa Rica, it's not like in America where you're waiting in a waiting room and then you go into this um exam room and then the doctor comes in. This is like I never saw a nurse. I went straight into the doctor's office and it's like set up like a regular office. He's got his desk, he's got his computer. He took a few minutes to get to know me. And then he said, "All right, well we'll go on the other side of this partition." And so you just imagine like a half wall and there was an exam um table right there and so my aunt and my cousin were on the other side of the partition but clearly you can hear everything right and bless this man he spoke in english i think to afford me a little bit of privacy because he knew that those weren't my immediate my dad was not going to show up to this thing because clearly modest man that he is that was too close to you know my naked vagina or something. And then my um, mom is agoraphobic. So this was not necessarily an ideal situation. My husband, Bo, is, you know, stateside and I'm getting um, this checkup to kind of confirm the pregnancy. And I'm like, I think I'm five weeks pregnant, you know, whatever. So I'm on the table. He's doing um, uh, the vaginal, what's it called? Ultrasound. Ultrasound. Yes. And he's like, yep, he, this baby is measuring beautifully at five weeks. You're correct. Look, and he's showing me this gorgeous little healthy peanut of a baby on the ultrasound. And everything is sort of he's speaking in Spanish and English, Spanglish, all this stuff. And then he pauses and he goes, ups, ups. And the beautiful thing about this is he recorded the ultrasound so that I could show both later so that we could share that moment together. Um, and he he's like, it's twins. It was like, say what? And he so he takes the wand right inside of me, and he, I don't know what he did. He moved it, and he's like, see that? I go, yeah. He goes, that's baby A. I was like, okay. And then he moves the wand. He goes, see that? I was like, uh huh. He goes, that's baby B. 
And I was like, I don't, I mean, I believe you. I'm not trying to insult you, but I don't believe this. And so he had to keep doing it. And so, not comfortable, also. I was, like, yeah. And a I was vaginal like, right, sound. Right. And I was, you know, I was right at 10 weeks. So this is not normally when you so would you have. thought five weeks, but really you were 10, no, 10 I, weeks. I arrived. I was five weeks pregnant. I think I'm, I'm, it's been a month since I've been in country. I think I'm 10 weeks pregnant. That is correct. So this is not a normal time when you would have this type of exam. Meanwhile, my aunt, and my um, cousin who are like clutching hands and like you hear them squeal and then they go, can we come over there? And I was like, uh, sure, because at this point, everything's so laughable and surreal anyway. So they come around to the other side and in Spanish, they're like, we're very Catholic. So they're praising God and thanking the heavens and, you know, Ave Maria and all of this stuff. And I'm like laughing slash crying because it's just so surreal. We weren't trying for this pregnancy. It was not exactly the best of times to have it, but it felt really um, serendipitous, right? Like my first checkup was in a country where I could afford to do it. I, I don't know what I would have done if I was still stateside without without any insurance. And I mean, I would have figured it out. But yeah. this so was in this ultrasound. One of the questions I have is mm-hmm. that there's all different types of twins, even yes. identical. Yeah. So tell me about like the sac, the sacs, the placentas. The, the they were mono die. Okay. And so because of that unique time frame, he was able to tell very clearly that they were t- identical. So explain to everyone so what mono die Mono die, two babies, they're sharing. So they shared one placenta. Um, they were in their own sacs. You know, they had their own amniotic sacs um, or when your water breaks. So they were in their own little sacs. And so that type of pregnancy, identical twins is a three in a thousand chance of having yeah. identical twins. Mm-hmm. It's not hereditary. That's one of the questions I get all the time. Oh, do twins run in your family? Fraternal twins do, but identical twins have nothing to do with genes. It's, it's just, just with the egg splitting. The egg splitting. And that's mm-hmm. like a Russian roulette that Bo played that night. And then your twins um, have red hair. So I think I remember you <laughs> yes. telling us one time that like the chances of having identical twins that had like red hair and green eyes was like one blue in... Blue eyes. And blue eyes. One so, in 10,000 or something. something crazy. I... Red hair and blue eyes is the rarest hair eye color combination in the world. Redheads make up less than 2% of the population. So on Facebook, I had made this joke like, I have redheads. They're less than 2% of the population. They're identical, which is a you know a, a three in a thousand chance to have them. I said, I wonder what the odds are. And of course, because I teach at a university, one of my colleagues was like, not to geek out on you, but it's actually like a point zero something something chance to actually have identical twins who are redheads particularly with blue eyes like that did you buy lottery tickets I to did. celebrate <laughs> they were the lottery they, so the, you yeah, they were my won. winning so how yeah. did you tell your husband that you were having twins because he wasn't with you at this appointment right so he actually had come down to costa rica at the end of the trip the students flew back he came down for a week and i still had two two days at the end of my trip that i wanted to spend with family again i'd booked these tickets long before we knew we were pregnant so he comes down, I'm throwing up every day, the pregnancy becomes real to him. Like he sees how uh, like in bad shape I am and I have food aversions and I'm like, you can't eat that around me. And you know, that's not who I am. I eat everything. And so it became really real to him. But then he flies back. He knows that I have this appointment the next day. So I call him again. We're in the car with my aunt, with my cousin, who I'm, who I love very dearly, but not who I'd want to have this conversation in the presence of. So Calbo, he's waiting. He knows what time it is. He's like, hey, how'd it go? I was like, it, it's good. Where where are you? He's like, I'm at work. I was like, oh, like in your office work? Or like you walk in the floor because he works in a restaurant, right? And he's like, uh, you know, I'm down at the bar. I was like, 
okay, can you sit down? He's like, is everything okay with the baby? I was like, yeah, yeah, everything is fine. It, there's just two of them. It's totally fine. <laughs> and it was dead silent. And I remember taking the phone and like looking like, did the did we lose the international call? I'm driving, you know, in the city of San Jose. And uh, I was like, Bo? And he's like, yeah, yeah, I'm here. I was like, okay. He's like, I- I'm excited. He's like, this is, just, this is a lot to take in. I was like, yeah, okay. All right, I'll <laughs> talk to you. So you're going to pick me up tomorrow? He's like, yeah. And that was it. Like, we, I think we were both so spooked that we just didn't talk about it. By the time I landed, he had researched in his cute sort of way of loving. He had researched everything that there was to research about a twin pregnancy and then grilled me. He's like, we got to figure out how you're going to eat more because you, you have to have 600 calories more for a twin pregnancy than your regular pregnancy. He's like, I don't think you're drinking enough water. I didn't see you drink that much water in Costa Rica. You need to be having double the amount of water. Like, it was all facts. It's He was the one who research the fact that twins are identical twins are not hereditary so he became this like little rolodex of information he was your week by week guide to pregnancy he was like he was like oh the baby's gonna be the size of this (laughs) babies right we were still (laughs) so yeah i love it yeah okay so your pregnancy tell me about it was were you relatively healthy like how did everything go it was a so the first trimester i was sick that's not surprising given twins i think most twin Um, moms will tell you or report that they had a really sort of nauseous first trimester. There's two of them. Did you take medicine? I did not. Okay. Nope. No. Um, I, uh, I had food aversions. I, I doubled down on fruit and avocado. That's what tasted good to me. Um, so I didn't take medicine. I just kind of worked my way through it. By the end of the trimester, um, I started to feel better. I'd still have waves of nausea, but I wasn't actively throwing up. After that, it was sort of a textbook pregnancy. Um, because they were identical twins and because they were monodie twins, we were monitored a lot. And since they're my only babies, I don't I don't know any other way. Like my friends would be like, oh, I finally get a sonogram. I'm like, what are you talking about? Because every other week I was having sonograms, pictures taken of the babies. So it was highly monitored. There, there's a risk of twin to twin transfusion with identical twins that they really want to closely look there was a little bit of a scare towards third trimester because I was I, they tell you to watch out for rapid weight gain because that is a sign of twin to twin transfusion and that happened and so one of the ways to avoid that if it's too soon they go ahead and give the baby steroids and they just inject that if it's around 37 36 weeks they go they they try to push to deliver i this was before that i think it it was right around 33 weeks so um that was a big scare um and there's really no way of finding out and they had offered at that point to drain some of my fluid and i asked like what benefit does that have for the babies they said no none it's just to make you more comfortable and i was sort of a very pro least medical interventions possible so i turned that down which meant I was huge. Like I have pictures of me next to Santa. I delivered in December where my belly is like twice the size of dress up Santa. I'd walk into a grocery store and people were like, there's triplets in there. (laughs) She's going to have her baby right here. Um, But so they did the steroids and that was it. They sent me home. Um, And then at 37 weeks, I went in. Um, At that point, I was going in every week for checkups. My blood pressure was a little high. And um, there were signs of preeclampsia in my urine sample. At that point, my doctor was like, you know what? Let's go ahead and have these babies. Let's, um, what's the word I'm looking for? 
induce. Yeah, thank you. So I had not had any Braxton Hicks. I had not had any false labor. I had no inkling of what a contraction felt like. So at that point, I kind of knew that that the birth plan that Bo and I envisioned was going to probably be out the window. So I know that what that was because yeah. I was your doula. Yeah. But why don't you tell everybody like what you were planning for your twin yeah. birth? So um, I was really enthralled with the idea of a water birth. I, I, I loved the notion of peace and calm that that would bring to both me and Bo. Bo is a little um, gun shy at hospitals. He has fainted before at the sign of a needle. I wanted a space that was going to provide as much peace as possible for everybody involved. And I'm also just more along the like granola hippie side, if you will. I, I, I prefer less medical interventions possible. I'm not. I'm a believer in Western medicine, um, but I think there can be a balance. Um, and so I had wanted a water birth, or a, a, at least uh, you know be able to move around, be able to squat, all those things. I was prepped pretty early that that may not happen. 50%, half of all twin births end up in C-sections. That's just the reality. Um, Full term for twins is considered 37 weeks. Um, And so I knew I had to really advocate for myself. But the preeclampsia kind of took my bargaining chip off the table because at that point, preeclampsia, the only way to get rid of it for the mom, I'm is delivery. Is delivery, right? So at that point, it was like, and for anyone that's listening here too, like I think it's really important. I think preeclampsia gets thrown around and people aren't really sure what the definition mm-hmm. of that is. They know that it's linked to high blood pressure, but high blood pressure is just actually one symptom. So eclampsia actually means seizures or convulsions. Right. So preeclampsia means pre-seizures seizures or convulsions. It's one of the leading killers of women, maternal health in the yeah. world. We just... And we don't, I don't think that people know enough about it. So that's why I just wanted to interject. One of the symptoms is high blood pressure. One of the symptoms is high uric acid. One of the symptoms, protein or creatinine Mm -hmm. in your urine. Mm -hmm. They look at the ratio of the uric acid to the creatinine. And so um, they also look at things like blurry vision and headaches. There's a multitude of symptoms that could give you the diagnosis of preeclampsia. Um, But I think it's important to not dismiss the seriousness of it because I don't think a lot of people realize that eclampsia means seizures Seizures. and convulsions so that we're trying to not have that happen, you know, and the only cure, as you mentioned, is delivery. Delivery. I had blurry vision the week before and I just, it it was, it came in wafts. It was like in my peripheral vision. So I, I didn't know that that was related right so when we went in for 37 weeks and they said that it was sort of like okay well we're gonna have to deliver these guys and I knew at that point that my body wasn't physically ready to have them I had no signs there was nothing kind of you hadn't um, lost your mucus plug I hadn't lost my mucus plug Um, I was still you know pretty mobile for how huge (laughs) waddling I will tell listeners that um you were still quite high too. So the babies oh, hadn't yeah. like dropped, you know, you hadn't experienced that, Mm-mm. you know, big drop and because there was also a lot that fluid was. Yes. We'll I will. The fluid. I will. <laughs> well, we're going to have a story about the fluid yeah. and just, uh, and just here coming up in a minute. Um. Hey, it's Heidi. I'm interrupting the podcast to let you know about a free resource that I've created for you at birthstory.com. All you have to do is go to birthstory.com and then click the tab that says 
the workbook. Once you put your email address in, an entire resource library of all of my secret sauces are available to you for free as my thank you for listening to the Birth Story podcast and being part of this community. At birthstory.com, under the workbook, you will find a birth plan template, articles on circumcision, delayed cord clamping, flipping a breech baby, packing your hospital bag, acupressure points, placenta encapsulation, and so much more. There are over 20 free articles ready for you to download at birthstory.com. Now let's get back to this amazing episode. Um, so this was like the afternoon. The afternoon. Of what yeah. day was this? December. The boys were born on the twelfth, so it was two full, three full days before that. Okay, they so were like born like twelve eighteen on the twelfth. So, okay. um, a few days before, and um, at that point, I kind of knew and resigned myself um, that things would not go as Bo and I had planned. I think. I had had that in the back of my head. Not that this was what was going to happen. I certainly didn't have a self-fulfilling prophecy about it, but I I wanted to be open to possibility and I wanted to be open to they'll get here how they get here and it's going to be okay um, if I'm part of the statistic or if I beat it or whatever it might be, right? Um, So they started with the Pitocin. So wait, let's back up now. So you're at that appointment. Did they send you home to rest or did you go straight to the hospital? No, they sent me to the hospital. They said, do you have a bag packed? And we said, yeah, it's, you know, we've we've had it in the car for a few days. They're like, well, go ahead. And I was at the OBGYN that was connected to the hospital. So they're like, yeah, just go, go on up. And so we went. So for everyone listening, if you go to the doctor's office and they don't send you home, they send you right to the hospital. There's a little bit more of a sense of urgency than yeah. even you understand. Yeah. Because there are many inductions where they say, come back tomorrow. Right. But it when they say scheduled. go straight to the hospital, yeah. there are some things that are making them very uncomfortable. I think the markers for preeclampsia were very clear. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? Very yeah. clear. And, and they s- wanted to alleviate that. And they wanted to alleviate that. And so, um, which I appreciate, right? I appreciate the attentiveness to that. So we went, they started Pitocin. Um I went back through the notes that so Heidi was my doula, which is an amazing thing to have a doula. Um, even if you don't have the birth story that you want, or if you your goal is to go natural and you don't go natural, having a doula in the room is amazing. It's an advocate. It's a voice um, that helps you. It, uh, the multitude of ways that you helped were was amazing. Um, so we called Heidi. We're like, hey, not, I mean, you show up when you want. I don't think anything's happening, but you know, they're going to induce. Um, a cervidal that evening. Um, I was told I was in labor. I felt n- nothing, like nothing. At one point, I was like, "Yeah, I'm starting to get some some pain in my lower back." I'd rate it like a two on a scale of one to ten. And I remember people like in the room laughing because they're like, y- "Your contractions are two minutes apart. How do you not feel that?" And I was like, "I don't, I don't know. I don't." There's it a whole lot hurt. of fluid. Yeah, I was like, <laughs> so. it really hurt. I don't know. And then we'll just back up really quick on yeah. Cervidil. So Cervidil is um, an induction um, medicine that they use that will um, soften, thin, the, yeah. soften and thin the cervix. Yeah. Um, so it, many times with a first-time mom, right. our cervix has not effaced or thinned and it hasn't right. dilated. Right. Um, and before we start like all, all this Pitocin, it is really right. good to start with. Um, trying to open and soften right. the cervix. Now, if you had an opportunity to go home, your doula would have said, have tons of sex 
because there are so many prostaglandins and semen that soften the cervix. And I had been Uh, using that hip the the evening primrose, the evening primrose oil. So I had, I had, I just, I think had started it the day before. So clearly, um, and again, I was really pro natural, um, but understood that that may not be the case. Um, so they use the Cervidil and then maybe a couple hours later started the Pitocin. Yes. Started at the lowest level Mm -hmm. kept increasing it actually went like to the top that they, that the nurses are allowed to go without a doctor, coming in and okaying it. I only ever got to 70% defaced and I only ever opened up three centimeters. Okay. So clearly my inclination, my instinct that my body wasn't ready, I think. Do you remember how many hours you were induced for? Like it had to have been over 24, right? When you got to three centimeters. Yep. Yeah. It was over 24. And I know people were saying, look, the monitor, you're having a contraction Mm -hmm. and they were four minutes apart and they were two minutes apart. And I was like, yeah. Okay. So do you remember ever really feeling that tightening or that squeezing? Like I remember being there with you and, and not really ever going into active labor. I don't think I ever had active labor. Yeah. I never had an urgency to do anything with my body. Okay. Right. I mean, I had a desire to move around. I had a desire to not be. And the thing I'll tell you, so, you know, there's two babies, there's two monitors. There was a mobile monitor unit that we had requested but it wasn't there that day, right? They only have one because, like, how many twin births or multiple births do you have? Yeah. And so each nurse had a different approach about it. And I, the first nurse was great. She let me move. And then she would just ask, you know, in intervals, I think, of half an hour and then maybe 20 minutes and then 15 to check the heart rates. And they were fine. In the evening, that nurse was so rigid. I was on my back sitting in that bed and I, the only time she let me take the monitors off were to go pee. And so I'd fake having to pee just so that I could get up and I would do like, so you never got to take a shower or get into the bath shower. I didn't get to chill out in the bath. I did. I was allowed a shower. Mm -hmm. So again, right. There's, there was this rigidity that I, that's not my personality. That's not how I wanted to deliver the boys. Um, but I also, and I remember, I think Heidi, you helped sort of advocate for that. She just, this woman wasn't budging. And I think um, twin births are complications to begin with. I was considered a high-risk pregnancy from the get-go. The fact that they were identical twins increased that. The fact that I was carrying around eight extra liters of fluid that they thought was related to twin to twin transfusion that ended up being about something else, which I think we'll get to. All of those things, I think, created a picture for them that made almost everybody pretty nervous. Right. Um, And I just want to interject. You did not hear her incorrectly. She did say eight extra liters of fluid. (laughs) So we are going to get to that still. I'm like, how many? We said it was four of like those two liters of like, you know, soda when you order us. When you go to a picnic. Yeah. Four of those. And then 10 pounds of baby. Yeah. So like uh, a day later, really the induction is what it's, it's, I don't like the word fail, but. You're, you're stalling. I think stalling. it's stalling, right? Because at this point, I've, I've, I think we doubled the amount of Pitocin. And yeah. so uh, the doctor comes in and he's like, you know, you're still not really effaced. And I had some visitors at that point who came and you were still with us. And I, it was like, I'm not willing to concede anymore on the, on the amount of medicine that you're pumping into my body because 
I knew I had enough self-awareness, body awareness that I, this wasn't going anywhere. So I was like, I want the Pitocin stopped. If we stop the Pitocin, whatever faux labor we're having right now is going to stop. I, yeah. I, I knew that clearly. Yeah. So and this up- is so important for people to hear. If your body is not ready for labor, there is no amount of Pitocin that they can give you that's going to make you go into labor. So if your body's ready, absolutely. Things will happen. Things. So it's really good that you had that you know, kind of awareness and that you were willing to like listen to the medical community too. Yeah. So I I, I think I asked him, I said, is the preeclampsia still a concern? Because now we're on day two and a half and I'm... I, there's Blurry no more vision, pito- still high like, blood no pressure. to get like I don't want to be pumped full of these drugs. Is is the preeclampsia still a concern? He's like, yeah. I said, okay. So I remember we asked everybody to leave. Bo and I talked about it. I was concerned because Bo it really does have a phobia and a fear and and anxiety around operations, needles, all of that stuff. And I knew that we were going to be leaving an environment that was sort of homey, right? That we had the diffuser going, we had like our own pillows, it was pseudo comfortable to this very cold clinical environment. And so I said, can you do this? Like, do you want to do this? Do we want to have these babies now? I just don't, this isn't going to happen naturally right now. And if the preeclampsia is still a concern, they're not going to let me go. Like, this is it. And so we decided together that we would just elect to have a C-section. I don't know that I would ever say I don't know if I would call it elect. It was... It was indicated. It was indicated. And whether you made control of that decision earlier, but in two hours later. We were headed that way. I'm pretty sure they may have come in and said. Yeah. And I kind of wanted it on my own terms. I didn't want to be in an emergent situation where they might have decided to put me out. Like I I needed to, I wanted, if we were going to go that route, I wanted it to be on our terms. Yeah. So we said, let's just have these babies. And um, the doctor said, I think you're making the right call, you know. Um, And I think later he said my cervix was pretty far back and the babies were behind that. And so it would have made Mm -hmm. complications. I forgot this until I read the notes last night. Um, And I think it's probably because they never said it to me when (laughs) when they (laughs) pulled Ethan. They had uh, another medical intervention that we had while we were laboring is that they stripped my membranes with Ethan. Mm -hmm. So Ethan was baby A. and while that felt great, like it relieved a little bit of pressure, still nothing, right? Yeah. So so we went and I had the epidural um, in the operating room. Heidi, you got to be a part of it, which doesn't normally happen. So I'd love to hear like your take on it. But anyway, so they... Um, so they took you back to the operating room. They took me room, back to the operating room. And then placed the epidural. Placed the epidural. Do you remember that process? Yeah, that was okay. the only pain I felt all day, like through the whole thing. I was okay. like, oh... I feel that. And she's like, try not to move. I was like, I'm so sorry. That's painful. Um, And that was it. Like that literally, I think, is the only pain I felt leading up to my birth. But your body responded well to the anesthesia. Like you felt numb. Yeah, I was, I felt numb. I, but I still had like, you know, upper body awareness. Do you remember feeling nauseous? um, I don't remember feeling nauseous. I, I felt, I think there was this relative calm for Mm me. Um, I, People were coming into the room. There were a lot of people. So with twin births, each baby gets assigned its own team. So small room. There were at least a dozen people, I think, in that room. Uh, If I remember correctly, yeah. And Bo and I were um, 
you know, trying to stay kind of out of their way up, right. up at your head, but yes. you did have an overwhelming sense of peace and calmness. Thank you. To you. Yeah. So, um, so Bo, you know, they sat and again, Bo's really nervous. So they sat him right close to me. And so we, we just were watching each other the whole time. Um, and when they pulled Ethan out, this is what I didn't, I don't remember. And I don't think anybody told me the, the umbilical cord was wrapped twice around Ethan's neck. Yeah. Um, did and you see I that? remember, yes, because I went where I w- probably am not supposed to go, but I went to the other side <laughs> yeah. of the curtain because, so you could see it. um, so for, uh, for audience members listening, this was the very first time that I had the opportunity to be in the operating room. Right. Um, not all doulas get that privilege. So I had never seen a C-section and I was really curious. So I just remember being like, bye Sean, like Bo's got you. And I was on the other side of that curtain, um, watching that whole process go down. And so, um, it was really amazing to see the inside of your uterus body. <laughs> and you, your and organs. You said it felt it so. was like its own type of birth. It, that you said they created a canal. They actually my... did. They have a ring, um, and I I'm not sure what this medical contraption is called, but it's a, a ring. Maybe we'll put it in the show notes. But it's a ring that kind of opened up um, your skin and uterus, mm-hmm. and it looked like, you know, because I've seen many vaginal births, right. it really did look like a birth a normal birth opening. It was really miraculous. Right. Right. So, so yeah. So they, Ethan was baby a Mm -hmm. 12, 18 within the same very tight cord wrap (laughs) minute. Mm -hmm. Zach was born. They, they broke his water and then delivered him in the same minute. So let's talk about that water breaking. (laughs) (laughs) I don't exactly remember if they broke was it just one sack? Then? Yeah, because okay. So then they Ethan's had to bring it. Was they had stripped his membranes in yeah. the delivery room, right? So, okay. so okay. So remember, we had this concern that there was twin to twin transfusion. I was carrying a lot of liquid on just one side, a lot of yeah. fluid on just one side. Well, it turns out um, that they were eight liters. Yeah, of fluid. and it was on Zach. It was on Zach, side. baby B. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason is uh, he was born with an esophageal fistula, so his throat never connected to his stomach. So in utero, he never had the ability to process. He couldn't do that. So he was sitting at in, a rapid rate, at a very rapid rate in all that amniotic fluid, which is why they thought we the twin to twin thing was a concern, because usually when you gain a lot of weight or there's they, they think turns out it was that he just didn't have a throat to process it. So say the term again. Esophageal. So Mm -hmm. referring to the esophagus or the throat, fistula. And it was uh, a birth defect that happened, they say, around three weeks. So it was before I even knew that I was pregnant with them. Um, It's... Not common, but it's a there's a common fix for it, and so um, generally, the rec- surgery is Im- immediate, and it takes six to eight weeks generally for folks for little little kids to recover from it. So I want to get to that story in just yeah. a minute, but like go back I feel it. like we left like our listeners like on edge a little bit. So <laughs> let's talk about the fluid. Yes, so the fluid. Sean's laying on the bed. So I'm not I'm really sure down. you're like aware of I heard everybody go, whoa, whoa. Like a collective whoa in the room. And Bo looks so Bo's like at my head and it's the first time he broke my gaze with me and he looks down and he's like, is that all supposed to be there? Yes. <laughs> like this so water. there was standing amniotic fluid, like standing water, standing amniotic fluid 
on the operating floor. That but there's is suppo- not this doesn't normal. Happen. There's a <laughs> so, container that yeah. they put it on overflowed. the table, and it's suppo- you're supposed to fill that up, right? And they actually use that, I think, for the to medical measure. notes to yeah. measure it. So. It that it filled that up. It overflowed. It the, all the nurses were like, "What?" And there was yeah. some sort of like nervous laughter in the room. I, the, you know, so you're strapped. The mom is strapped down. You don't really see anything. There's that curtain up. Um, I wasn't nervous because the laughter made mm-hmm. it sort of a lighthearted moment, and I knew I, it was. I wasn't surprised. It wasn't like what's happening. I was like, "Oh, there, there was a lot of fluid." Yeah. Did you feel like a relief of pressure, like as if a balloon had popped? It or did, did you feel, feel like a balloon popping. It was like all of a sudden I felt weightless for just like a millisecond, and it was like, it was like I had peed my pants like I had never peed my pants before. Okay. Like I don't, it Just was like sense of relief. Yeah. And it literally was, it, I think it made that sound. It was like, and and then it hits the, the tile floor. So it makes a sound there and people were just like beside themselves. And so, you know, Bo, myself and Heidi have no idea that this is out of the norm until we hear the nervous like laughter. And then I think later, right when you were getting dressed out of your scrubs, you were with the nurses and they said, well, I mean, that? I just remember that they were like, we have never, literally never seen this amount of amniotic fluid. And then they estimated, because it overflowed so much, they estimated it at eight, eight to 10, 10 yeah. liters. And I was like, that can't even be right. I mean, I just remember <laughs> like counting the liter bottles and then like thinking of your stomach and thinking, wow, yeah, it just. So it was y'all, I was huge is what, huge. what we're trying to say is I was huge. huge. I literally had to walk into a store and I was probably around 34, 35 weeks and, and people just glazed over with panic. They thought I was going to have these children like and, in aisle eight of Harris Teeter. Whew. And I just remember, so like Ethan was born, like Zach was born like immediately. Mm-hmm. And I think this is really cool with the numbers. Like, so they were born on 12, 12, 12, 12, 12, 12, 12, 12, 12, 12. Oh, sorry. 12, 12, 12. that'll ever happen. And they're, um, yeah. And they're twins. So I just At remember 12, thinking, yeah, I just remember thinking like, whoa, yeah. this is like a spiritual, you know, awakening that's happening. Right. And I remember right away they put the babies um, and I'm taking over a little bit because yeah. now you're laying on your back I getting don't stitched have, up. Right. I don't see. Any so they took Bo and I were able to like see Zach and Ethan and mm-hmm. they put them in their little bassinets and like under the lights. And right away, they noticed that something wasn't right with Zach. Right. So like, they weren't saying very much. They weren't right? saying much. But, but like, I remember, and Bo and I remember hearing that his sound was very different than Ethan's sound. Mm-hmm. So, like, those first few, like, cries and breaths right. and stuff. Um, but then we kind of got, um, you know whisked away to go back to right. the room. And they were going to take you to recovery for right. four hours. And um, so then I want you to take over and then tell us kind of where your journey or your inauguration of motherhood like started. started. So I'll say, even though I had, you know, this vision of a water birth and all of these things, I think that I... Oh, that was a water birth. Well, (laughs) different kind of water birth, right? (laughs) Um, You know, I had all these visions um, and those didn't come to fruition. But I, I feel that I still had a very serene and calm birth, even though it was in sort of the the confines of a medical operating table. And so I don't, I don't mourn the loss of what could have been a birth or I don't, I don't, it didn't feel like a traumatic experience. Now that might be um, because of the subsequent stuff that happened with Zach afterwards. Right. And I, and, and no one told me about Ethan until I read it later. So I think 
that was probably a saving grace, right? Like I, I, I never, I was never worried about Ethan and, and probably needed to be, but I wasn't. Um, so we, I recover in the recovery room, which is like the size of a small closet. It was ridiculous. And then, um, I get some skin to skin time with both of them after they had had their baths. Um, and then we get wheeled to our room. And I remember, um, they said, we're going to take, uh, Zach up. He's still having some trouble getting warm. We're going to take him up to the, um, nursery, I think is what they said, or the NICU to, to warm him up and just do some, run some more tests on him. But it was always, it was just presented in sort of a standard operating type of situation. Like no need to alarm you. No need to alarm you. This is my first pregnancy. I don't know what to expect. We had kind of already adopted this open attitude of, you know, roll with the punches kind of thing. And I'm also coming off of some major drugs, right? So like (laughs) things are not operating clearly for me anyway. Bo is like at this point really sleep deprived because he's been up the whole time. He went with the babies to to have um, their first bath all of the, when they got them cleaned up. So he is finally sleeping, I think for the first time in, in over two days. days. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And I remember it was like, early morning hours, three, four, and oh, a, a doctor came in and I knew it was, I knew it was serious. Um, and so she comes in, Bo's asleep. We don't wake him up and she's telling me words and I'm struggling to process them. And so she was kind enough to write it on an index card, esophageal fistula. And she said, he's going to need surgery. And at this point, I'm just so overwhelmed. I've had two babies. I'm, I've only got one of them in my in my hand. I'm able to do skin to skin with Ethan. Um, I am recovering from major surgery, which, by the way, I never really even registered that that was a serious surgery. Like, it never came. The, the preeclampsia concerns I knew were concerns. The C-section I know is a major surgery. I don't have any recollection of being in pain after the surgery or like what my own needs were at that point. And I think it's because the the, the twins, more primarily Zach, right? Um, so welcome to being a mom. Welcome to being a mom. <laughs> so that was like, hey, you're a mom and you day one, you're a mom in crisis. Yeah. Right. And so it was. Do you remember how long it was before you were reconnected with Zach? After, like, the initial skin-to-skin time? Yeah, like when they took them and to diagnose After, them and then had to um, go surgery. It's before, right before surgery. Oh, that's okay. Now we're both crying. <laughs> yeah. Love you. Love you, too. Um, right before surgery, we wheeled. I got wheeled up. Um, he was connected to all these tubes. I should say, he's in the NICU. They're tiny preemies, like gorgeous little preemies. And he was born five pounds, 12 ounces. So for a twin baby, he's he's a big. big, he's a healthy size. So he looks like this giant butterball compared to all the other, you know, all the other babies that are in the room. And he is hooked up to all these tubes, but he's not in the incubator. Like I could, he wasn't in a glass container where I couldn't put my hands in, you know, kind of thing. Um, but... I was so, they were like, you can pick him up. And I didn't because I was so afraid of, of messing something up, right? He's got a tube that's breathing for him. He's got a tube that's feeding him. or well, not, I don't even think he was eating yet because he needed surgery, right? Um, and so those are my first sort of memories of, of Zach or, or these sort of, yeah. So 
um, Bill really kind of became the anchor point. Like I, it kind of became this division of labor immediately. I was taking care of Ethan. Bo was with Zach. So I didn't see much of Bo. We didn't have a lot of time to process together the birth story. Uh, it was just sort of like we immediately, without even vocalizing it, I clearly, because I was stuck to a hospital bed, had to, um, we just kind of unspokenly did this thing where every waking moment, Zach was going to be, you know, taken care of by Bo. Bo would rush down and check on me, hold Ethan for like 30 minutes to an hour, make sure I'd eaten and run back up. This is why I think I was not paying attention to anything about my C-section. And like, I, I just didn't feel that much how pain. Could like, how, yeah, how could I? Um, so he has surgery as a day old. They tell us, so he was born on the 12th. They tell us like, and the hard part is, Ethan could not go into the NICU. So I, I never I never got the twin experience until after Zach came home because I could never hold them together. And I had had these like, all right, we got to figure out how to nurse two babies at the same time. That was not the case. I was nursing Ethan and Zach was getting his nourishment from formula and machines. Um, and I'm sure it was never part of like your vision that no. you were going to go home with one baby, baby. and only one baby and only one baby yeah, and leave um, one behind, which is great. Right. Like we knew that there was a chance that we'd have them prematurely. We knew that there was a chance that they were going to, ha- there would be a hospital or NICU stay. It never occurred to me that it would be one or like that, that, what happened to one was not going to happen to the other one. So it just, that was, it blindsided us. Um, So they said, you know, don't expect them home for Christmas. It's usually a six to eight week recovery. Um, The, the surgery went beautifully well. Um, We were taken care of beautifully by our friends and our family. Um, I don't think that I spent much time with Zach, like in hindsight, because I was recovering from a C-section. I remember once Bo came down and he's like, do you want to see him? And I said, yes. But Bo looks so haggard. I was like, will you just lay down and will you just do skin to skin and we'll get a nurse to take me. So we call for a nurse. It literally took 45 minutes. They were so busy for a nurse to wheel me up there. And so we'd been waiting for 45 minutes just so that someone could take me because I couldn't walk up to see my son. And I spent some time with them. And every time I spent time with them, I'm like a mess. And so I'm holding him. This is post-surgery. I'm holding him and... I'm a mess, and I'm. I'm. Could he nurse? Mm-mm. No. Mm-mm. He no. He, he was ha- so after he surgery, still had he a feed had tube. a feed tube okay. feeding him, um, and they they had to do swallow studies to make sure, right? Because it's his throat th- to make sure. And so he was e- eating in teeny tiny increments, and they were testing to make sure it was the swallow study that I think he needed to pass, among other things, before he could ever come home. Um, so I remember, I was like, I'm not waiting another four, 45 minutes to get back down to Bo and Ethan. So I took my wheelchair and I used it like a walker. Yeah. <laughs> I can't even describe the amount of pain I was in. And I think at this point I wasn't taking pain meds. Like, I, I think I have, I've torn my ACL before. Doctors have said, you seem to have a high threshold for pain. The contraction is not reading, right? Yeah. I just, <laughs> I don't feel, I think I have a high threshold for pain. So... That was the most excruciating pain I've ever been in. Using my um, wheelchair as a sh- as a walker to walk down to the hallway, get into the elevator, go down to the um, maternity ward, and come back to the room. I collapsed into bed, bawling. And I think at that point it was like a cathartic release for 
everything that was yeah. happening. We go home, but we only go home with one baby. Bo's taking shifts visiting, and then we go up, but he's holding um, Ethan in the family waiting room of the NICU, and then I go in. And so we never, like, Bo and I never got a chance to be with, with Zach, just the two of us, un, uh, except for right before surgery. We were t- there together with a whole host of medical teams. So it wasn't like this private moment. Um, but then the greatest, most beautiful Christmas miracle happened. Zach is like the strongest fighter we know. And he, they called us and they said, you can come pick him up. And it was Christmas Eve. So it only was two weeks, the 12th to the 24th. They were like, this is the fastest recovery we've ever seen. I think your Costa Rican relatives were sending some major (laughs) Major Catholic Catholic, prayers. uh, (laughs) Vibes, yeah, for sure. I mean, everybody was on, Uh, you know. I I had my good friend, Diane, who's a chaplain, come, and she had um, baptized him because we just weren't sure what was going to happen. But we got him home on Christmas Eve. And I, I remember we were like giddy school kids. And we propped them up in their little, like, bassinet in the living room. And Bo and I slept intermittently, right, um, on the floor Christmas Eve. Was that the first time you nursed Zach? It was the first. No, that's not true. I, in recovery, when they moved him to, like, the healthy NICU side. um, They removed the tube? Yeah. He he was not... um, It was like I was bottle feeding him because I couldn't nurse him. I pumped and then would feed him that because they needed to measure how much he was getting and they needed to see if he was swallowing. Um, When so babies who are born at 37 weeks don't know how to nurse anyway. So that was a whole other like (laughs) podcast issue of like, how do you maybe we'll have you back on the podcast? Yeah, breastfeeding, breastfeeding twins. Twins. I think that that would be like a really good topic. I finally nailed it, but it was. It was, I mean, Ethan too, wasn't, I was seeing a lactation consultant. It was, this is crazy. Like take Ethan to the lactation consultant, take Ethan by himself to his first pediatrician appointment, go see Zach, have our meetings with the medical team there. Like Zach finally comes home. I'm having meetings with the lactation consultant about Zach at the, at the hospital. Like finally like come home. I think that's why when, when they were, everybody was home and people were like, do you need help? I was like, no, I got this. Cause it was the first time I had an opportunity to just mother my two children at home. And you wanted that sacred and I wanted space. That time. Yeah. yeah. And I think it also, um, it, it made the twin thing easier. Like I, I think I extended myself a lot of grace because I kept saying, well, I only have two hands. I only have two boobs. I only have like, I, I saw my friends with single parents beat themselves up for this ideal notion of what motherhood looks like and miss that failed, you know, miss that mark, which is mythology anyway. And I think they, they, they were hard on themselves. And I think I was like, well, I've got twins and this one, you know, was in the NICU struggling for life, you know? So I did a load of laundry and I watched the hair on my kids grow. I rocked it out today. Yeah. (laughs) You know what I mean? So I was going to say like here at the end of the podcast, I like to ask like, what is your advice for moms of multiples? Yeah. And um, moms whose babies go to the NICU, like if you can pass along some sage advice, like what would you say to those that are coming after you? I So I think in the birth planning process, be open to, to, to whatever story it might be. And I think that you can control the emotions. So like I said, I... I would have never wanted a C-section delivery birth for myself. It is totally 100% okay. 
It was a serene, I think as serene a birth as anybody could have in an, in an operating room in that, in that environment. Um, I don't have any regrets about that. So I think that there's sort of a, a posture of just being open. Um, if you have a child that's in the NICU, I think that you have to invest in self-care after that baby comes home. Um, because I don't, I don't, I don't think it matters what it is that lands that child there. I think it's a traumatic experience. And I think that there is a lot of, of processing and unpacking that has to happen afterwards. Um, and it happens slowly and over time. So don't, um, don't set unhealthy expectations for yourself about what it's supposed to look like. Um, Thank you for that, because I think it's really important that we remind moms and give moms permission for self-care and to not feel guilty about that. Yeah, 100 percent. I mean, um, I still every Christmas Eve get really choked up at at the story. Zach still like if he's if it looks like he's like got a chip in his throat that's like scratching him you know what I mean like it's not really a risk I like I hold my breath like it's a trigger he, it's a trigger right and they will never not be a trigger and there's just a an existence I think that that mothers have with with children who've gone through traumatic experiences and it and it's relative so like I have friends whose kids have been born who've needed heart surgery right away right I've had two good friends whose kids have had heart transplants already it is relative like the, the trauma exists even if your child was in the NICU for a week yeah. like it doesn't it doesn't take matter care of, take even if you have a completely healthy baby yeah take, take care, care of yourself, of yourself. and so. that looks to I, I recognize what that might look like for you yeah in the early stages is that sleeping when they sleep and giving yourself permission to to do that and not the dishes or the laundry or um you know, I think it might be different if you've got other siblings in the home, but you, it's still vitally important that you carve that out. Say yes to the help when, when, when offered and be directive. Like say, I know you want to hold this baby right now, but what really helped me is if you could just start a load of laundry and if you can start the load of laundry and then I promise you can hold the baby or come and let me just take a bath, yeah. hold my kids so I just can take a bath. And I will say Jean practices what she preaches because when I had my baby, she came over and did my dishes. <laughs> I don't think you even know. Well, no, you nursed him. I'm sorry. That's another podcast for another day. But yes, but you came over and did my dishes. And I was quite thankful for that. So as we close out favorite baby product or products, like when you look Mm. back six years ago, was there something that you were like, oh, this was my go to? I mean, those damn swings, the little baby swings. Yeah. My Mm -hmm. children slept in that a lot. Yep. And Um, you had two of them side by side. I had two of them side by side. Yeah. The, oh, we could do a whole podcast on like what you need, what you need and what you don't need. You don't have to buy two of everything. That's just going to junk up your house. Um, do you remember what the brand of the swing was? I think it was like the Graco little lamb. It, oh, you know, that it's is the, what it was. It's the I cocoon one, right? Yeah. And so you place the baby. It's very cute. It's got a little mobile it's got like a above little it. Mobile. Um, yeah. So yeah. And um, for us, we swaddled, but swaddled with arms out, and the swaddles were were pretty um, vital. Cool. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Sean. It was awesome. Me. Like. You know, you're my bestie and um, I was part of the story. So I feel like a cheater asking you all these questions, but it was really beautiful to relive it with you. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for coming on. And we're going to, we're going to do part two with Sean on nursing multiples. Sure. You should see her face right now. That's amazing. (laughs) Oh God. I mean, 
nursing them until two. You want yeah. to talk about We're that? We're going to talk about all of it. <laughs> all so, of it. <laughs> all right. We hope everybody has an awesome day or night, whatever you're listening. Thank you for listening to Birth Story. My goal is you will walk away from each episode with a clear picture of how labor and delivery might go and that you will feel empowered by the end of your pregnancy to speak up, plan and prepare for the birth you want, no matter what that looks like. If you're enjoying this podcast, then I need your help to spread the word. If you know anyone who is pregnant, is trying to become pregnant, or just loves a good birth story, if you could send them to iTunes or Stitcher or Spotify or SoundCloud, wherever they listen to their podcasts, and ask them to subscribe to the Birth Story Podcast.